Hi, I'm John. And I'm Cecilia. Welcome to Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. Hey, Crazy Cats. Welcome to another installment of Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. Our guest this evening is somebody I have known for a little while now, but I've never actually met her, and I don't know her as well as I would like. I'm hoping to get to know her better on this interview of ours today. So join us as we storm into the unknown with Ashley Storm. Welcome, Ashley. Hello. <laughs> See what I did there? I stole your podcast title. <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> you did, and I love it. <laughs> so, Ashley, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get wrapped up in this crazy paranormal world? Well, the... What has happened was, no, <laughs> um, I think it's a lot, a lot of people have the same kind of story. You know, we have the instances when we're younger and we have those encounters with spirits or energies and stuff, but growing up in Guam was a little bit different than growing up here stateside for most people, you know, in Guam, our culture is very heavy into this, our ancestors and their spirits are all around us at all times. They're the protectors of our islands. You know, we have so many different little things which people would consider folklore, but we know as tradition or heritage. It's kind of adjacent to the Native American way of belief systems. I didn't know you grew up in Guam. Yeah, that's where my dad's from. Awesome. Yeah. See, see I'm learning about her already. Getting to know you. <laughs> Did you have experiences there? Oh, all the time. And that was my thing is when I grew up there, it was normal. So when we moved stateside and I realized, hey, not everybody just willingly talks about all these things. I'm like, oh, so maybe this isn't normal. Like, it was a very big struggle for me when I was young because we were, I was eight when we moved to New Orleans from Guam. So, I mean, I was very young and it was a very big, and it was right after I actually I'd had my near death experience was why we moved stateside because I couldn't get the proper medical care in Guam that I needed for it. You can't just drop that without explaining it. Oh man. Well, see what had happened on that one was, well, you don't have to, if you don't want to, but <laughs> no, I was perfectly fine. I don't ever really actually talk about that instance, but before I had the near death experience, I always, encountered things and again just always thought that it was it was normal that everybody could see ghosts everybody could see spirits everybody could talk to them or they talked to everybody else the way they talked to me and um when I was in third grade it was the summer before it was the day after before summer break actually and we were all outside playing and one of the bigger girls in our class pushed me we were playing tag and she pushed me and I fell I hit my head and um we didn't know until later that night that I actually had a subdural hematoma. Ooh. They thought I just maybe had a concussion. But I was puking, and my mom was like, even when you're sick, I could have a flu, and I would not puke. I was not the type of child who would vomit or anything. So they knew something was wrong with me because I wouldn't stop. It took me to the hospital, and then I ended up getting put into a sleep-induced coma for two weeks. That way, the blood wouldn't keep rushing everywhere and it wouldn't continue to grow because it was the size of the back of my head. Like my entire, the entire back of my head was a severe hematoma basically. So we had to wait for the pressure to stop for the blood to, I guess, stop. It was, it was a very weird experience, but I remember in that instance, and I don't know whether or not 
it was before they put me in the coma or when I just got to the hospital. But I remember being in this room of nothing but, I don't even want to call it light. It's like warmth. It's, it's a light, yes, but it doesn't look like a normal light, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah. it, it does. Light it or, does. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like light. It's almost, it's a warmth almost. It's, it's a very audience. And even like when I talk about it, my body just gets, it kind of gets that sensation again. And I was standing there watching myself, like seeing myself laying on like an ancient runic table almost. You know, the old um, stone slabs that they used to use as kind of like altars or things like that. That's what my body was laying on. And I was just standing there watching myself. And I don't know how long it was, like and no real concept of time in this dream or anything, but just what I remember. And then all of a sudden the room just went completely black and then I was back. Like I just, it was real, it felt quick, but it also felt like it carried on for forever at the same time. Like time was of no construct in that moment, you know, and it got worse. Wow. And how old were you at this time? I was seven, eight years old. Mm, okay. I was a few months short of being eight years old, but it got worse after that near death experience. Like it went from being, I'd see him sometimes or hear him sometimes to, I heard them all the time. Like I wouldn't even be able to go to sleep because I just hear people constantly. And I legit thought that I was losing my mind. I mean, I never really told anybody. I never spoke about it because, you know, people are going to think you're crazy. And then come to find out there's hundreds and hundreds of other people who are just as crazy as we are. (laughs) (laughs) You may be crazy, but not for that. Right. And crazy is really just a relative term in what we do. (laughs) Yeah. So you moved from Guam when you were having all these experiences to the very quiet, very sedate Louisiana. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, well, that's my thing is New Orleans being what it is. And itself is a very haunted city. Yeah. Even the parish that I grew up in is very haunted. We have a lot of the richest history in the South. We have the Shalmet Battlefield. We have all those plantations. A lot of those plantations down there were some of the first ones that opened and ran. A lot of those um, houses are still standing from the 1700s. Like it's, it's very rich, and it's still very well preserved with as much loss as we've had from hurricanes and natural disasters and whatnot. Everything is still very well preserved. And it's when you think about it, though, also New Orleans is also basically just one big burial ground. Yeah. You've had the fires in the city in the early 1900s where we had countless people die. And it's not like their ashes were swept off the street. They basically just rebuilt on top of them. Same thing goes for when Katrina came through, Rita, um, Hurricane Betsy in the 1950s. You have all of these natural disasters, tragedies, and whether it be violence or, um, and you, you also have the mix of Native American energy in there and the belief systems of the Hispanic people from the Canary Islands and the Tenerife Islands that came down into the St. Bernard Parish, the Islamios people. Um, you had a lot of Filipino and Chinese cultures down there as well at the same time. So you had all of these different practices and belief sets and systems. Very different. All embedded in this one area. And you have to keep in mind the Haitian Creole and voodoo practices that go on there as well. So it's a very magical and very haunted place, 
but it's Bible Belty. You know, it's, it's, it, especially from where I'm from, St. Bernard Parish, like in New Orleans, yeah, ghosts. That's like their biggest um, source of revenue is <laughs> ghost toys and stuff. But you go anywhere outside of that city and it's, we don't talk about that, you know, that's the devil's work or that's you talking to the devil, it's not you talking to a spirit. And so it gets very hit and miss with being able to express yourself like that, especially at a young age, because, you know, I'm going to church hearing people say all these types of horrible things about people who have experiences, because we've had people speak up in church sometimes or ask questions and just kind of get shot down, you know? So it's a very weird mix of growing up with, yes, it's okay, and then don't fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two very, two very different extremes. <laughs> what changed for you then? Because you're not quiet and shy about it now. No, and um, my ex actually passed away about four years ago. Oh, sorry. And he was one of the only people who knew what I could do, um, because he'd been one of my best friends since I was like in seventh grade. And after he passed, he kept coming to me constantly over and over again and kept telling me to stop being afraid stop being afraid and be happy because it was that's a very huge part of who I am um mm-hmm. you know and anybody keeping that secret or keeping that part of themselves hidden that's a lot of emotional and mental distress after a while when you have to internalize all of those things that you're going through constantly you don't really have an outlet or somewhere to filter these things that are happening to you out at. And so he kept saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid to tell people. And so I did. I just was like, you know what? You got it. Fine. I never really listened to you while you were alive. I guess I'll listen <laughs> to you now type thing. And uh, <laughs> I just started and just went full force because I'm, I'm really bad in that manner. Uh, I've also been pretty open lately about the fact that I'm bipolar. And so I don't don't have a middle ground when I do anything, you know. It's either all or nothing. So when I started the paranormal thing, it wasn't just like, hey, I'm curious, or hey, let's do this. It was a, I'm going to get shit done. (laughs) Had you done any kind of investigating before this? Not like with... The equipment that we, you know, use now and stuff like recorders, little voice recorders and things like that all the time. But I didn't know that that was investigating, you know, when I was younger. I just was trying to figure out who was talking to me and see if I could um, catch it, you know. So I would have a little video or the cassette recorders. (laughs) That's what I would use because we had an old one and it's actually kind of similar to the one we still use. We still use video cassette recorders with parabolic mics hooked up to them. <clears throat> so that's kind of what I was using. And I mean, I would just go out into my backyard because I would see, come to find out when I was about 17 years old, part of the land that we used to live on, we had 13 acres down in St. Bernard Parish. And we live about five blocks away from the old Kenilworth plantation. Well, come to find out, part of our land was actually where part of the slave quarters and the cotton fields were. And I didn't even put that together because, you know, we had cotton sprouting up every summer almost, but never put together that it was part of the plantation. Um, so when we moved to New Orleans, at one point I woke my papa up in the middle of the night because I saw a bunch of African people in the backyard and these old clothes around this bonfire, like just talking and singing. And I was like, people broke onto 
our land. Like, this is crazy. There's a bunch of them. So I woke my popo up, and he comes up with a shotgun, and there's nobody there. But he was like, I heard them, too. Oh. Yeah, and I was like, so what? Like, what? what's happening? And that happened at least seven other different times that I could think of. Like, just being in the room, trying to sleep, and then see a big light from outside and hear the singing going. And it was like the same thing. Like, it was residual almost, you know? But it was a very strong residual that I guess because of what being psychic medium, whatever, I hate those words. Mm-hmm. I can see that imprint more than just hearing it. Like my papa does or like my uncle has experienced, you know? So this is something that actually kind of runs in your family then. Yes. My mom. And this is what drives me nuts. And I'm, I'm so freaking mad. My mom has the same abilities. She never told me until I started doing this stuff. And I was like, so I could have like not felt crazy for, <laughs> for however, basically yeah. my whole life. And you just like didn't say anything. Yeah. So it was to a point <laughs> frustrating, but also very, um, I, it was just a very big relief in another sense though, because I didn't have to explain myself any further when I came to them with, this is what I'm going to do. Did you ever divulge to her that you were experiencing these things? Maybe she just didn't know to Never. tell you. Oh, well, that's why. <laughs> that's why she didn't say anything, because she didn't no. know you were going through it, too. No, but... I'm going to throw my two cents in here. As a mom, and it also runs in my family. I don't think as strongly as it does in yours, but it also runs in my family. It was also something that was not talked about growing up, right? Yes. Uh, my mom didn't really talk about it until we were late teenage Right, it, that never, it never really came up. Although, yeah. although she saw me running around at seven years, eight years of age with a Panasonic cassette recorder trying to catch EVPs too. <laughs> um, uh, and I think, I think that was just that was that was just the time, right? I didn't talk about it at all growing up, and I think I'm probably old enough to be your mom at this point. So, I mean, I can understand, I can understand where your mom was coming from, especially in the environment that you were in. Oh, yeah. More of a protection for you than anything else. And especially because of how my mom and papa were. They were still very Catholic, like, strict, you know. Mm-hmm. So even though she had those experiences and stuff, she never felt comfortable telling people, really. And um, then come to find out, my great-grandma had gifts and abilities, but she was part Native American. Um, and... So I, and I also, and this is what I'm, I'm starting to learn so much more about myself, is that we're dreamwalkers, too. I had no idea that that's what I was experiencing my whole life. I've only ever had one recurring dream, and it's not a dream so much as I would call stigmata, really, hmm. because every single time I get hurt in the dream, every time I get killed and hurt, wherever he stabs me with the little trident thing that he has... I have marks. I have bruises every single time. Wow. And it's always the same lizard, demon-type-looking figure who's like seven, eight feet tall. And we're always in this like apocalyptic kind of hellscape. Ooh, and then that's come cheery. And find out from Catherine, right. That's the only dream I've ever had. That's the only place I ever go when I dream. And then come to find out from Catherine Cirillo's from the Warren Legacy Foundation that what I'm doing is just dreamwalking because I can't control my astral projection, so I dreamwalk. And it was so weird because I, I actually started talking to her about this because once I had Oliver, it stopped. As soon as I gave birth to him, I never, I, did, I haven't had those dreams since then. Uh. And I was like, so what's 
what's different? Why, why did it stop? And she goes, well, tell me about your dreams. And I told her, she goes, well, first of all, you're not leaving anymore because you were dreamwalking. And now you have something anchoring you to this plane. Your conscience and your subconscious know that when you're sleeping, you can't leave anymore. You can't go off to these other planes where they're calling you to fight these battles and things like that. You have to stay here and protect him. And I was like, holy crap. Yeah. So another instance of, I think I'm crazy, but really it's just, there's so much more to every little thing that we see in life sometimes. It's kind of weird. Not kind of weird. It's really, it's really freaking weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I would call it weird. It's just different than the norm, right? That doesn't make it weird. It just makes... It's weird to people who don't believe in what we believe in. You know what I'm saying? People go, that's nuts. Like, that's right. insane. But we understand that that's, an, that's a possibility. Like, that's... Yeah, it makes sense when you break it down like that. But you know what? Jumping out of airplanes is nuts and insane, so... Yeah. Exactly. We all have our own little qualms and see, like, my husband won't do any of those things. He won't ghost that. He won't go um he won't go scuba diving he won't go sorry he does not go out into open ocean water <laughs> he won't go um zip lining he doesn't do anything fun <laughs> he's so scared and he he calls it the white people tendencies he's white <laughs> by the way and he says that i have more white people tendencies than he does <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I like it. Like, you go into these old ass abandoned buildings by yourself, and because until I had a team recently, I've always been by myself investigating. So I mean, a lot of locations that most grown men won't stay in, I'd be like, "Yeah, give it to me," and go in fourteen, fifteen hours, and just post up like I was at a family reunion. You know? <laughs> all right, yeah. all right, hold on. I, 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 I am required to interject, listeners. Always buddy up. <laughs> Yes, yes. But I got special permission to do that because I did not have anybody in the area who was willing to go with me. And I was working with the Warren Legacy Foundation, you know, and I had to do cases and I had to do stuff, but I never had anyone who would go with me. And a lot of the people, like, who were interested in going, we'd go and do, like, one session or something, and they'd get so freaked out, they're like, no. F this and just. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that we, We've had those. We, we've had those. Yes. Oh yes, we've had we've had our share of those. That's what happened with my brother. <laughs> he came with me because we always watched Ghost Adventures together. Like we were super into it together because he had a lot of experiences when we were younger too. And you know, just he was like, "Yeah, let's go." And after I started doing my first channeling session and just all these things started happening, he was like, I already knew you were fucking weird and like you, you knew and saw stuff and did stuff. He's like, that was just too real. So no. And he's never gone with me again. <laughs> we had a, uh, last year we had a very gifted sensitive with us. For, it was like our first time out. She'd never gone out on an investigation before. So we went somewhere re- relatively tame uh, but she had some experiences there. We all had some experiences there, and she was like, "Nope, never again, never again." And <laughs> she really never back. again. And, and we have a an, another teammate who came out to Haunted Hill House with us recently, and after her experiences there, she was like, "Nah, I'm <laughs> done." <laughs> Yeah, I, I look at these people with these large teams, and they've got like six people, and they're like, "Yeah, we're all going out again, and we're going out this weekend, and we're going." And I'm like, mm, "Most of the people I know run away. I don't get it." <laughs> yeah. 
how, right. How did you find 15 people to be on your team? Because I could barely find two. Exactly. Like, where, where are you guys hiring all these junkies and stuff? <laughs> Which is funny, though, because <laughs> I actually found my teammate, my first teammate, Jason. Um, <laughs> so I'm part of a horror junkies page on Facebook where we talk about like horror movies and stuff like that. And uh, I'm somebody, so surprised. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Shocking. Yes. Um, I had put some, somebody put something about that Zach Bacon's documentary movie he made about the Hell House or whatever, the Demon House or yeah. whatever that was. And um, people were commenting on it. And he and I were like the only ones talking shit about it, like calling it out and being like, well, actually, you know, and <laughs> being like, oh, it's over exaggerated. It's not even really that good. And everybody was lighting into us. And I was like, you seem pretty cool. So I looked at his profile and he was in Gun Barrel, Texas. And I was like, oh, that's actually like super crazy close to me, like compared to most other people. Um, it's two and a half hours away. I have no idea where that is. It's near Mobbing, Texas, uh, near Kaufman. It's a little right outside of Kaufman. I, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm a Texan and I don't know where any of those places are. <laughs> <laughs> south, I only south. know where those places are because of him. <laughs> I had never heard of them before that. What's the next but, biggest town close to that? Houston. Ooh. Now, you're talking North Texas, right? No, it's like West Texas. Southwest Texas. Oh, now you're... East Texas. Next, yeah, Mexico? not Southwest Texas. I know that region very well. Um, <laughs> it's got to be East. That's why I said Houston. Yeah, it has to be East, then. But I'm not Magellan, so I'm, I'm horrible with directions. Like, anybody asks me left and right, I put up my hands because I'm like, oh, I'll write with this one. Like, I'm not good with directions. This is my soul uh, sister right here. And, and, oh, and you ask Cecilia the same thing, and she puts up the, the opposite hand. Hush. <laughs> then yes. what she means. Which is even more confusing. <laughs> Yeah, I found him, and I was like, hey, do you by any chance, like, have any interest in going ghost hunting with me? And he was like, hell yeah, I used to be on a team, and I haven't gone in so long, and all this stuff. And I was like, well, then, let's do it, you know? And so, it just kind of started. And then my second teammate, um, she actually came to my event with Daryl at the asylum that we did during the summer, or in the beginning of October. And she was so just full of life and so full of curiosity and just so focused and her energy level like matches mine. And that's very, very rare to find in some people because I'm just, sometimes I'm too much, but (laughs) she's, she's the same way I am. And I just, I love her passion. And so I was like, you know what? Do you want to be part of our team? Cause she'd been going and, doing other events and stuff or this was her first ghost hunt but after that she kept going to other events and going to other places you know investigating like that but I was like you know you don't get a really personal experience when you're at events you don't get to really investigate the way you want to um because she had a curiosity as an investigator not just like as a bystander Mm -hmm. or somebody who was like yeah it's a tv show so let me just go be a part of it so I finally ended up asking her if she wanted to be on my team because she only lives about 30 minutes away from me in Fort Worth. And thankfully she said yes. So now I have two wonderful teenies. 
all because of the internet. <laughs> I, I am I am awed and amazed. You know, I've never been to an event, like ever. I have never been to one. I, I don't even know how they operate. I think we probably would have by now, except for that the pandemic hit and it kind of just. Yeah, I, I don't know. Driving all the way to Oklahoma. I think we could have probably and, done and since that. You brought, <laughs> since you brought it up, I was going to save this for later, and I was going to bug you about your podcast, but since you brought it up, tell me about the asylum. <laughs> oh, where do I start with that, please? How did all that happen? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when I was pregnant with Oliver, actually, uh, we were on family vacation, and I am a very outdoorsy person. Like, I like zip lining. I love tubing. Like, I need to be outdoors doing crazy stuff. And I can't do that while I'm pregnant. So I was bored as hell. <laughs> like, I need to get out of this cabin because everybody's going off every day doing stuff. And I'm, I was, like, only three months pregnant at the time. I just found out I was pregnant, actually. I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to find somewhere to investigate because <laughs> I'm bored. And how I find most of our locations, actually, aside from our residentials, obviously, I like going around little towns and asking people if they have any stories about any of the local buildings cool. or if they've experienced anything in the local buildings because I like doing places that are not known. I don't like going to the same things that people have done 50 million times over. I like that fresh energy. I like yeah. kind of being the first one in to Us too. experience it, especially historical locations. I, the historical locations are just... A one to me because I'm a huge history nerd, and so I was going around Broken Bow and Hotel Town just asking people questions about you know you and most about eighty percent of the people you ask look at you like you're freaking insane, but there's those little those little bits those little points where you get some really good information some really good leads so you kind of just have to suck it up and take all of the no's to get to that one really profound yes. And so the asylum kept coming up. And so I looked it up online and it's a haunted house. And I was like, well, do they mean it's haunted because it's a haunted house? Like, this is weird. Let me call the guy real quick. <laughs> so I called Andrew and it was like, hey, I work for the American Ghost Hunter show and we have a pretty big following and I'd like to go and do a live stream there. Um, it'll help bring you business for your haunted house. And I just kind of want to see what's going on in there, you know, if it's really haunted. And he goes, oh. It's fucking haunted, all right. <laughs> and he's like super country. And um, I was like, oh, really? So I go in and I have not been able to stay away from that place since. Um, we brought so much traffic to him for that haunted house that year after I'd done the live streams that during the summer he asked me to run events for him. So I did weekday and weekend tours. I would just take people on like ghost history tours or investigation tours and then run the events like I did with Daryl. And then, not even like 10 days after the event with Daryl, I was up there in the front of the asylum cleaning stuff up, and he goes, Hey, Storm. That's what he called me. Hey, Storm. You want, you want to be a co-owner with me? Uh, I just, my heart dropped out of my asshole. And I was like, no, are you, I really feel like you don't even have to ask me this question. Just, <laughs> yes, yes, a million times over. Yes, of course, I will be. Like, just don't even, don't ask again this dumb question. Of course I will be. And... <laughs> just went from there and so now I'm trying my my biggest goal with this is to make it not just a place to investigate but a home for people because 
we spend so much money on hotels, travel, food, all that stuff in between on top of the locations. Most times we pay like 600 for a location and we get it for, or 500, $300 and we get it for six, seven hours. Yep. That's nowhere near enough time to investigate thoroughly, first and foremost. Most teams take at least two hours just to set their equipment up and set up their cameras. So what we're doing is a whole different ballgame. It's not about the money to us. The the money helps repair. I don't take anything. I don't make anything off of this place. Everything that I make goes back into the repairs for this place because I want my spirits, my energy to have a nice forever home. A lot of them do not want to cross over. I don't force I don't force crossovers. I do therapy sessions instead. I go in there and we do light sessions and therapy sessions. I literally go in there every single weekend, even if we don't have events, just to talk to them. Let them know we're here and if they have problems or they're feeling like off that day. They're really just like living human beings. and We forget that a lot of the times. So in the middle of doing all of this, we're doing a setup as a hotel room. So we'll have a room that is just five beds and a TV, and then there's room for more air mattresses and whatever else people may need. So you guys can actually sleep inside the asylum so you don't have to spend money in a hotel. We'll have a full running kitchen open. And then we have the base room where we're going to have DVR cameras set up in every single room. And then we're going to have two ports for DVR recordings. So teams that don't have DVRs can get the copy from us. And then if a team has their own DVR, we'll have two copies set. And then we'll have... Um, Platforms already set up and anchors already set up for TVs for viewing stations and bases. So everything will basically like be done. Your prep, your setup, a lot of the footwork and a lot of that hassle and extra money you spend that's eliminated by doing this. And the shortest time frame we offer is 12 hours. 12 hours? Mm-hmm. Wow. I kind of yep. like that. So you get, yeah, so you get more than enough time. I mean, you're paying as much as you would pay for another location to get it for six hours and you're getting it for 12, sometimes 24. I mean, depending on which package you get, because we also have different packages and things like that. I want it to be, you know, as a paranormal investigator, we go into these places and it's not for a paranormal investigator. You know, a lot of these locations, it's for the money. These people are just mm-hmm. yeah. building owners. Yeah. And there's no sense of what we need as a paranormal community when we go into these places. So everything will basically just be set up and, Ready to go for you when you come. Are you planning to have um, instruments like REM pods, SLS cameras, uh, any of the, the typical instruments that investigative teams would use for their use there? Oh, yeah. We always let our we always let everybody use our equipment. Our equipment is always available for anyone if they don't have maybe the same type of equipment or they want to use something a little different. They always have free reign. We put everything out of ours for the night. And then you just kind of take it as you please. That's great. Are you doing overnights now? Mm-hmm. Or is this something that you're working on for the future? No, yeah, we've already, I have been booked up since I started doing it. I've been out there every single weekend. Um, we've had really great teams, just little groups coming. Like uh, this weekend, this past weekend, actually, this Saturday, we were in there and um, it was just four of us. Well, five of us, technically, including myself. Um, and two of the girls that were in there are ladies who came to one of my events during the summer and just absolutely fell in love with the place, and they've come to almost every single one that I've had since then. They've become really good friends of mine, and they've kind of been there through the entirety of my journey with this place, you know? So they've seen how 
they were kind of aggressive at first. They not necessarily aggressive, but just there'd be a point where they'd be like, "Never mind, we don't want anybody in here," and just start being real, like get out or start getting real heavy towards people, um, not wanting to share their space really. And Saturday, better not cry, Ashley. There's no crying in paranormal. We. <laughs> It's funny because that's what Steve said oh, about the queen. But um, we're sitting there doing EVP sessions and then we're doing a spirit box session. And on both, I didn't realize that we had caught it on EVP too until later. But on EVP and on the spirit box, you know, I'm going through and I'm saying, is there anything else, you know, we can bring you for next time? Because I always ask, is there anything we can bring you? Because they usually always respond with something. So I bring them whatever they want and vice versa. It's any location I go to though. But I'm asking, you know, is there anything, what do you need for next time? Is there anything else? Is there anything else you want to tell us today? Anything else you want to get out? And I'm like, I love you guys. I always tell them I love them. <laughs> like, I love you guys. I'll be back, you know? And I was like, are you guys happy here? Or somebody else in the group asked if they were happy there. Are they happy with the work that I was doing there? And like three different voices come through and are like, yeah, yeah. And then a guy, a male's voice is like, yeah. Cool. And then after I said, I love you guys on both EVP and Spirit Box, you hear this woman, it was so loud, come through and say, we love you. Aww. And it was just, I don't know. It was weird because this place, like it changed every few hours it's like the whole entire feeling of the place shifts like the environment just gets different like they're they're playing games with us almost and to an extent it was it's never negative but they do try and like scare you they do they get a little bit rambunctious but that was the first time that it was ever just I heard a thank you you know basically that what I'm doing there is they that they like it, that they're okay with it, that they appreciate it, and that they're being treated nice. You know what I'm saying? That they're happy, and that's all that matters. That is cool. Do you seem to have a a like a set group that you've now identified, a set group of of spirits, or is there like battling groups that one seems happy and and upbeat, and the other seems more aggressive that battle each other back and forth, or how does that seem to play out? There's a whole different there's a whole different mix in there because you had it running as a nursing home, an asylum, a trauma unit, and a halfway home for children. Mm. You have all of these different age groups, all of these different um means of death, all of these different and you have to keep in mind though too, this area that it's in in Broke Boat is where the Trail of Tears went through. Yeah. Where the original Choctaw Nation settlement was and right. they got flooded out with Hochitown. Like I mean, there's a lot of net a lot of crazy strong Native American energy in this area too. Like if you drive through Hochitown and you're a psychic medium, whatever, you you better be prepared to get sick because it, it just seeps off of the land. It just it comes at you hard. And so I feel like that's part of why the activity in the building is so strong because it has that natural, the natural battery kind of to work off of with the Native American energy and spirits that are already kind of imbued in the land. But then you have just nothing but trauma and death and sadness. This place was never a place of hope for anyone. Yeah, this was a last stop for them all. Even the kids in the nurse, in the halfway home. You know, um, a lot of them ended up dying, ODing. They've had we've had deaths in the asylum, like suicides. One of our most prevalent spirits is a teenager who took his life in that wing. 
And then we have two little girls. We have a little boy. <laughs> we had a group come in two weeks ago that when I'm doing the tours, it's like when I see them or something, I kind of get a weird look on my face and I don't realize I'm doing it. I kind of like to zone out and start staring at them. And so I'm giving the history tour. I completely stop in the middle of the tour and I look down the hallway where the bodies are hanging and stuff. And because it's still set up as a haunted house. And the lady who's in the group smacks her mom. She goes, holy shit, did you see that? And points back to where I'm looking. And I start giggling because I saw the little girl. <laughs> she goes, I just, saw the, I just saw a little girl run across. She goes, are you sure there's no one in the building? I was like, I have to please sweep the building every single time before we come in. Because we do have loose windows and stuff. So just on the safe side, we always have the police come and sweep. We also always have them every event that we're at. We have them check on us every hour just to be sure. And... I was like, no, I promise you, nobody's in the building. We already had the police sweep. Even had me have the police come back up and sweep the building again, just to make sure. She was like, no, I, I, I saw it. I mean, she's been doing this for at least like 20-something years, and she was shook. So you know what I'm saying? Like, for her to have been doing this as long as she did and something so profoundly, like, jolts her, it, it, it gets crazy in there. They don't have any fear, really. It's like they want to be heard, almost. They like the attention, especially Nick. That's what we call him. That's his nickname. So he's Nick. Because <laughs> um, I have a an agreement with the family not to use his real name because a lot of his relatives are still living and because we don't want them to be drawn into right. what's going on. Yeah. So we call him Nick for his nickname. But um, he he loves scaring people. He absolutely loves it. He throws stuff at guys while we're in there all the time. Um, there was one time we were out in the left wing, and then I hear screaming coming from the middle of wing. So I go run over there. and I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he's like, something just threw something at me again. I can't do this anymore. And he was an Army vet, and he'd only been in there for about two hours before he tapped out because he kept getting stuff thrown at him. Um, it's, it's usually men who have... A background in any other type of security, military, police, like anything like that. And there was a girl that was in there one time that kept getting stuff thrown at her. And I was like, what do you do for a living? Because he doesn't like you. And she told me, security officer. She's a security officer for the National Guard. And I was like, You're safe, that's Doug. why. Teach doesn't like you. Yeah, yeah. so I was going to ask, so what about long-haired rock and roll guitar players who like guns? <laughs> He'd love you. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> so He'd I- love <laughs> I, I have a real important question here, but it's for John. So um, I see you with the map open. How how long would it be from Austin to Broken Bow? Oh, Oklahoma? just under six hours. Okay. That's doable, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just put that out there. <laughs> already Thank mapping you. it out. <laughs> John's already got the map up. He's like, ooh, we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's a pretty amazing place. It sure sounds like it. It's also the fact that it's not just me that has these experiences. Like, the people who work in the haunted house have so many stories about them being grabbed while they're in there or being talked to while they're in there. Um, two of the guys who used to own it with Andrew, um, Ray and Shay. Ray won't go into the building anymore. The first time I ever met Ray, he would not go past the doorframe. He stood in the middle of the doorframe and would not come in. And when I started, like, looking, doing my whole little... Have you ever watched That's So Raven? When she has her like, oh, little yeah. flashbacks or yeah. visions and shit, that look she gets on her face, it's kind of like what happens to me because I don't realize it's happening. And it looks stupid as shit, but whatever. And <laughs> I'm looking, and he goes, oh, hell no. Bye, nice meeting you, and walks off. And I was like, why won't he come in the building? Well, come to find out, 
he had taken his daughter in there one day when nobody else was in there, like trying to get stuff, like pick up stuff from the haunted house. And she goes, who's that man? And he knew there was nobody else in the building with him. He didn't see who the she was talking about. So he was like, nope, grabbed her up and left. Oh. <laughs> and would not go back into that building anymore. Um, same thing happened with Jay. He hears voices all the time in there. You, you hear footsteps, doors slamming. Um, you have, like, on cue, we'll all be in, like, in a huge group in the room. And can you move the door? Can you... Can you open it? Can you keep opening it? And just on cue, just keeps opening, keeps opening, or it'll shut back. Can you shut the door? Shut back. Can you go back out into the hallway and you hear the footsteps leading out into the hallway and then into the hallway and then you hear a door shut like they're leaving? I mean, it's very intelligent, very intense responses and activity in there. Very crazy. Get a little bit of it all. Yeah, I get get a sense of wonder when I experience most of that stuff, but I never get... Upset. The only time that I get kind of pissy about it is if they're threatening a, a teammate, which happened recently, or if they, they start mimicking a dead relative, yeah, which also happened recently. And I'm not overly fond of getting touched, although I get poked and touched and leaned on and handheld <laughs> all the freaking time. I'm not overly fond of it. I'm not overly fond of it with live breathing people. I'm certainly not overly <laughs> fond of it. Right. I am not like, I'm a hugger with people that I know and stuff, but like, I don't, I germs, like, don't, don't touch me. Like, not. But especially ghost, I call it ghost groping. Ghost groping <laughs> is one of the weirdest sensations ever in the whole entire world because, one, you know that it's not a living human being. So that's just in itself. It's like a whole other realm of like, what the fuck? And then, nightmares. Yes. And then sometimes the the positions that you're in when you get grabbed. So like Ballinger is the perfect example for this. I've never been as creeped out as I was when I was laying in the bed at Ballinger. I'd be laying there and the, I'd be like, "Can you come lay down next to me?" And the REM part, the REM pod would start going off, and all of a sudden I'd feel like a hand going up my leg. But then as I'm laying on the bed with my butt on the bed, I'd feel something grab my butt, and I'm like, Mm-mm, nope, that's hands coming up out of the mattress at this point. Nope, nope, nope. Oh. Not doing it. Like, um, nope, that's a whole other level of some creepy shit. No, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're going to Ballinger for two nights next month. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> Do you want to be telling Lay me in this? the bed. Lay in the bed. They're such huge trigger objects. It's insane. Every single, no matter which bed it was that I laid in, I would get touched and the REM pod would start going off like like that. And we got EVPs of men going, <sighs> or you'd hear like, <sighs> like grunting noises and stuff. Like it was, it was weird. We got some cat whistles. I, I don't think I'll have that problem. You are a young, cute girl. I'm an old, fat woman, so we're good. I think you underestimate how horny these ghosts are. <laughs> Plus, you're beautiful, so don't you even do that. You're beautiful. I'm an old, fat man, so also. this is, this is going to be the test. It's going to be the test of whether they go after you. <laughs> just how horny they are. You know you are a very, very pretty man. You're a very, very pretty man. So. Oh, don't say that now. And with that, Remember. With that long, curly hair of yours? Oh, don't say that now. We're going to Ballinger. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta remember that horse rouge ladies leech <laughs> uh, oh so I've gotta ask one more question about Ballinger and then I wanna go back to I wanna go back to um talk about Broken Bow. 
when you talk about laying on the bed, are you talking about like going to bed or just one of the no. other rooms? No. Uh-uh. I was just investigating. Okay. So I was using myself as a trigger object. Which, if you watch the live, holy shit. So one, I needed a lot of sleep when we were there. I hadn't slept really good for like two days before that. And I was super sleep deprived. And so like I'm already pretty weird and like don't have a filter but when I'm sleep deprived it's like it's complete delirium and it gets real funny but also kind of weird but whatever um so I'm laying in bed and when we had started doing the live he wouldn't come and lay down next to me and so Angela was like are you shy and I was like don't worry they can't see you get it because he's a ghost <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I cracked myself up. It was so funny. But like, I was using myself as a trigger object. And when I laid back down in the bed that second time, that instance, I went to lay back down, and I was like, "Oh, why am I doing this again? I knew I know better. I know better. I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it." And I lay back, and sure enough, it would start. It started happening again. I was like, "Oh yeah, we're going to go." I'm tired of getting groped. I was like, "I'm not even getting dinner or nothing." So. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we went to different rooms. Hey, to Carmen, my teammate, if you're ever listening to this and we go into Ballinger next month, I have a job for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Just pretend it's a Shay's Lounge and just lie down right there. <laughs> so if somebody wanted to book Broken Bow, what would they need to do? So you'd go to Profoundly Paranormal. At gmail.com. And, and just let you know their dates? Yep. Well, I'll send them the packages that we have and all the different time frames and stuff that we have. And then they'll tell me the date and we'll get everything squared away. And listeners, we will have that email in the show notes so that you can, you can book that. Um, so you're not just a sensitive. See, I didn't call you a psychic or a medium. You're not just funny as hell, you're not just adorable, and you're not just a creepy haunted asylum owner. (laughs) You also have your own video podcast. I do. It's the best shit show in the world. (laughs) (laughs) So tell tell us about your podcast. More than anything, my whole goal with starting my own podcast was to make sure that it wasn't just the same people getting the their voice put on the platforms over and over again. You know, after working for Paranormal Warehouse, you continuously see the same, like, 20 or 30 people from TV being interviewed yep. over and over and over again, and we're only learning from these 20 or 30 people. But we have thousands and thousands of people in this field that we're not listening to. We have so many different ways of investigating, so many different techniques, so many different styles, so many different beliefs and backgrounds that we can be learning from. And so to hinder ourselves with just listening to the same 10, 15 people over and over again, it's a very big disservice to ourselves to not let everyone have a platform, no matter whether or not they've been on TV, you know? So my show is more about getting regular Joe Schmoes in there, and we get everything that we talk about, UFOs, cryptids, serial killers, dark history, and of course, ghost stuff, you know, but we try and do a little bit of it all. And what's it called? 
Storming the Unknown Podcast. That is a very a very clever name. I wish I thought a way to incorporate it into this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody did that with the opening or whatever. I'm not sure. Oh, oh I that, that was I someone know. else. That was so long ago. <laughs> so if somebody wanted wanted to catch your show, which I can attest is very entertaining and very informative, how would somebody go about catching your show? You got to go on the dark web. Oh, okay. I have that bookmark. United Network. <laughs> don't do that. I'm just kidding, y'all. Don't get in trouble. Don't listen to me. Don't ever listen to me. <laughs> I give... No, don't do it. One of the other podcasts I was on, they were taking, <laughs> they take suggestions of horror movies for one of the other guests or hosts to watch because she doesn't like horror movies, but she does like reviews. And I was totally just kidding, not thinking she would take this seriously, but I told her to watch um, Human Centipede. Oh my God. I got, <laughs> I got a message the next day. What in the hell was that? That's not even a horror. That's just... That's so messed up. I'm like, see, but that's like the crazy, that's the most scary type of horror movie to me is because it shows how like messed up the human mind really is and yep. like the extent that people will go to. I'm be. not afraid of like a Texas chainsaw killer. I'm afraid of that dude is going to go on Mangala one day and like start kidnapping us and doing experiments and shit, you know, like yeah. that's psychologically a thriller to me. <laughs> yeah, and, I agree. But she was not happy. <laughs> it's, it's very psychologically compelling. It, it makes you. No, it's not. It makes yes, it is. It makes you look <laughs> inward and realize that you're part of this race. <laughs> I I am I am a oh, delicate yes. flower that is not compelling. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I want to thank you for being on the show. Yes. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun, y'all. You are such a doll. <laughs> you're a doll. If I ever get time off from work again, look for us because we'll be staring outside your door. Yep. With our suitcase and our REM pod. <laughs> and all the other stuff. And a giant ass case of stuff. I'm down with that. You know, you guys are always welcome whenever you get time. See, you, you, you say that now, but when we are standing over your bed every night, like, is it time? Can we go now? Can we come in? <laughs> Please let me in. Not if I get to your bed first, Celia. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ashley. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you guys again for having me. You have a great night. You as well. Hey, if you like what you hear, and how could you not? We are freaking adorable. Check us out as Crazy Cat Paranormal on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. The links will be in the show notes. <laughs>